please turn with me to Acts 9. We're going to read the passage, 32. Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived in Lydda. There he found a name named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died. And when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to him, urging him, please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed and turned to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Good morning, church. If you haven't already, let me invite you to open your Bibles to the passage our friend Stephanie just read. Acts chapter 9, starting in verse 32. If we hadn't had a chance to meet, my name is Daniel. I have the joy and honor of serving as the pastor of the Mountain Church. Welcome to our Easter worship gathering. It's a joyful day today. There's joy in the house of the Lord today. Right? You guys with me? You need to have some more coffee. Should we have the Easter egg hunt before the sermon? You get some sugar? For Christians, Easter is the, the joyful day of remembering the resurrection of our, our Lord, our founder, our Savior, Jesus Christ. That joy comes in the morning. Right? There might be pain in the night, but joy comes in the morning. There's sickness and evil and suffering and death in this world, but one day it will not be so. And we know this, Jesus was described as the first fruit of the resurrection, that God has power over evil, he has power over sickness, he has power over death. And Easter is the day in which we as Christians celebrate the audacious claim that this homeless Jewish man from Nazareth named Jesus said he was the son of God, said that the father would raise him three days after he died, and he really did. <laughs> he didn't stay dead. He wasn't this kind of crazy wacko that said, oh yeah, you guys will see me after death. I don't know of other founders of religions that say that kind of a claim. Yeah, three days later, I'm going to raise from the dead. Christians, we don't travel to a holy city to remember the burial place of our Lord, because he's not there, right? There's no temple we visit because Jesus has made us the new temple. 
Christians believe that Jesus is the first of many who will be resurrected, that after death, the soul will be reunited with a glorified body and we will live in a resurrected and a newly created creation where we will be with God's people forever. It will be a world free of sickness and suffering and injustice and death and resurrection is what we hope for in that day and we can bank on that because of Jesus' very resurrection himself. So I have a slight dyslexia, and sometimes my words get jumbled. So if I say something weird, but it kind of sounds like resurrection, that's probably what I'm talking about today. So <laughs> you guys could have some patience and grace with me. Resurrection is not, uh, as it's kind of commonly depicted in cartoons, like we die, we kind of float up, and we are, become like babies with kind of cloud-like diapers, and we're just kind of floating around. That's not... Christianity. That's some sort of weird, I don't want to go to there, if that's what it is. Christianity talks about a new creation. As British writer and philosopher C.S. Lewis describes, God became human not to turn creatures into sons and daughters, not simply to produce better people of the old kind, but to produce a whole new kind of person. You think about that, and I think about the just as you know, the, the famous song that Aladdin and Jasmine sing to each other, right? What will be the resurrection be? You guys can sing it a whole new world, right? <laughs> but it won't be the kind that you get from a magic carpet ride. It won't be the kind of a new fantastic point of view, as Aladdin and Jasmine say as they're up in the clouds. It, it won't be a you know, just a dazzling place that you're just seeing in a new way. It's going to be a place that we never knew. Yeah. Not because we're in love, not because we're flying on a carpet, not because we're, we've been amazed by the magic of some sort of genie in a bottle, not because we have a mischievous monkey. It's because we have never known what the new creation will look like. It will be new, a whole new world. It will be a world remade by God, a world that we have never known free from violence, free from injustice, free from sickness, free from fighting, free from talking back, probably. And all the parents said, mm, yes, amen, <laughs> yes. It's not going to happen when a, a girl named Moana restores the heart of Tafiti. It's not going to happen when a girl named Raya brings back the heart, the dragon stone to unite the kingdom. Right, one of the joys of being a girl dad, I have three girls, is that I get to watch Disney movies, right? <laughs> and sarcasm aside, I do enjoy many of the movies because they portray this beautiful restoration, this beautiful new creation at the end of the movies. And whether it's Frozen or Moana or Raya and the Last Dragon, we, we like these stories of redemption. And the adult movies, we claim these like Shawshank Redemption. I don't like my girls to watch that one yet. <laughs> Goodwill Hunting, Cinderella Man, right? or even the new Super Mario Bros. movie that just came out. I just saw this week, recommend it, it's great. Girls loved it. Anyways, we like stories of this redemption, renewal, restoration. And the teacher in Ecclesiastes, he claims that we, we have this longing for something that is eternal and stable because God's placed that desire in our heart. We know that this world is not all that it should be. We have a desire, a longing for more. We know the world is not what it was meant to be. And on Easter, we celebrate 
God's new creation is breaking in in the kingdom and Jesus is leading the way in his resurrection and we all can look forward to our resurrection with glorified bodies and the church says amen. In the story of Acts today, we're considering a sign, I think a picture of this resurrection, of this new creation. It's, it's something as, as a story that we consider the healing of these two people, Aeneas and Tabitha. And we see Peter do something similar in each account. He's praying, he's attributing the healing to the power of Jesus, and he's asking those who are sick, who are paralyzed, who are dead, to get up. And oftentimes, when we think about miracles, we we hear about miracles in the Bible, we can think about them as, as if God is doing something extraordinary, something out of nature, something that is contrary to nature even. It's outside of the natural order. Some people even dismiss the Bible and Christian claims because there's miracles in them, and we, miracles don't happen these days unless it's about the United States beating Russia and we're making a miracle. The movie is called Miracle, right? We, keep, we talk about miracles in sports, but we don't actually believe, secular people don't actually believe that there's extraordinary things like being raised from the dead. We believe, and the Christian faith believes, that these miracles, these miraculous, these extraordinary acts of Jesus are not the breaking of the natural order. They're actually a preview of the restoring of the natural order. It's a preview of of what life was supposed to look like, a life without paralysis and death and sickness and blindness. Jesus' miracles and the miracles of the apostles that we see in Acts, they're showing us what life was supposed to look like. No death, no impairments, no suffering, no sickness. Miracles are like little windows into the resurrection, into the the new creation. What it's going to be like when Jesus makes all things new. This is why I think Jesus didn't just go about and heal everyone. He's giving little signs and pictures and, and windows. It's not so much a suspension of the natural order, but a picture of the restoration of it. So the healing of Aeneas and Tabitha aren't just proofs. They aren't just demonstrations of the power of the name of Jesus. They're actually little pictures of the, the, the new creation, the resurrected life, and in God's providence. We're talking about this passage today on Easter. It's like I picked it to fall on Easter, right? <laughs> One pastor put it this way, Jesus' miracles are not just a challenge to our minds, but a promise to our hearts that the world we all want is coming. It's a world renewed and restored, a resurrected world, a world full of resurrected people that's been renewed by Jesus. These healings, they give us a picture of hope and comfort. They're a picture of the good news of Jesus's life, death, and resurrection and what it means. And I think it's providential we're considering it here on Easter. So let's start Acts 9, starting in verse 32. It says, Now Peter went here and there among them, and he came also to the saints who lived at Lydda. Now, since this guy named Saul, who was a formal persecutor of the church, he went about ravaging the church. He went from house to house, taking Christians to prison. Since this guy had changed teams, he had gone from a persecutor of the church to a, uh, what's the opposite of persecutor? Proclaimer. Proclaimer. Thank you, Ben. Yeah, it works right too. Proclaimer. He's advancing the church. He's not, he's not just going, he's not just seeking to stop it now. He's actually seeking to advance it. And he's going to become, he's later known the Apostle Paul. He's going to write 13 of the 27 New Testament books that we have. So now that this, this great threat has become a great asset, there's no longer this fear of 
Like the, the apostles are, are leaving Jerusalem. They're going about, they're encouraging the other churches that are in the surrounding cities. And some think that there might've been hundreds of churches outside of Jerusalem where Peter was going and he was encouraging and teaching and, and edifying them and, and lifting them up. And it says he, he went from here and there among them, among the churches, and he came also to the saints who lived at Lydda. And there was a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. Now we're not told much about this man. Why was he paralyzed? He was paralyzed eight years, which just signifies it's not a short amount of time. It's not as though he was faking it. <laughs> it's like, oh, it's a hoax. No, this guy was bedridden for eight years. The people in the town knew that. We're not told how did Peter meet him? How did he find Aeneas? Was there some sort of tragic way that he got paralyzed that maybe people knew and they might've invited him to come to Aeneas? It just says he found Aeneas. We're, get, we're given little information about the backstory because the point is the guy was paralyzed and here comes Peter just walking up to him and says, hey, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise, make your bed. And immediately he rose. Wish I had that kind of power with my daughters, right? <laughs> School is starting, Addison. Rise, make your bed. And she just gets up, right? Make your bed probably means here he rolled up the mat that he was laying on, but the word that Peter uses here is significant. It's a Greek word, anastemi. We're going to sing a song. Anastasis it means like restand. Estemi is to stand, so ana is like upward, so it's like little stand up, and it's the word that's used for resurrection. This is, this is the word that Mark uses, Mark 16, 9, now when Jesus was risen early on the first day of the week, same word, anastemi. Luke 24, 46, Jesus is saying to his disciples after he's raised, this is written that the Christ should suffer and on the third day rise from the dead. So when this word's used, it's used in the context of resurrection. It's the same Greek word used for Jesus' resurrection. And look what happens in verse 35. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. So this healing, this miracle, it doesn't seem to be for the purpose of Peter showing off his power. Like you might expect, so many of the professional athletes just kind of become commonplace for gloating and showboating. I don't see Peter performing this great miracle, and then he kind of turns and goes, right, number one, Apostle Peter. That's me, yeah, man, my power. Doesn't flex. Yeah, Lida, look what I can just do. I just said something to this guy and paralyzed for eight years. No biggie. You ever done that? Do you know who I am? I was one of Jesus' favorite. I was actually in the top three. Uh, there's no room for boasting. There's no room for boasting in the Christian life. There's no place for boasting as a Christian because the gospel, the good news of Jesus is not that you're awesome, not that you're so great, not that you can pull yourself together. The gospel is way more offensive than that. The gospel is way more offensive than Jesus came to make your life better. The gospel is way more offensive than, yeah, Jesus died and rose again just as an example of how much he loves you. The gospel is, you're sinful. You're flawed. You don't need to accept yourself. You don't need to love yourself more. You don't need to find out who you are and kind of be who all we can be as Disney just loves to fill those messages to us. One of the things I don't like about Disney, 
is that gospel is, you're enough. Find within. Find that voice. No right, no wrong, no rules for me. I'm free. Let it go, right? The gospel is we're, we're not superstars. We're weak. We're dependent. We're in need of help. We don't have what it takes on our own. We need outside help. We need God. We need others. And everything that's good that's happened in our life is not because how awesome we are or we made the right choices or we have the right merit in ourselves. It's, it's by God's grace. A proud and boastful Christian is like an evil Jedi. It doesn't make sense. It's like, well, you're talking about a Sith, right? Jedis can't be evil. Yeah. Prideful Christian? Doesn't make sense. A boasting Christian? It's like a tall hobbit. <laughs> it's like a, a slimming, fat-burning Big Mac. I would love to eat those, but they don't exist. It doesn't work that way. You eat Big Macs, it's not going to be slimming that's going to happen. At least, not for me. Unfortunately, I just can't do that anymore. I can't eat my McDonald's meal like I could and just not have any effects. Like the reminder of getting old and God help me. Long for this new creation. Well, that could eat Big Macs and not get fat. That'd be cool, but I don't know. And I'm getting off my notes and I'm digressing. The point is, when Jesus heals this man through Peter, the point, the purpose, is not for Peter to boast. It's not that this power resides in Peter or in us. It's that the power resides in Jesus. And who do the people turn to? They don't say, whoa, let's follow Peter. This guy's so sweet and cool. They turn to the Lord. They turn to Jesus. Healing is not for Peter to boast in his awesome power. It's to highlight the power of Jesus. And I think whenever we see miracles and signs in the book of Acts, it's, it's usually for the advancement of the gospel. It's kind of like attestation. It's proof. It's like a living illustration of look what Jesus can do and look what he will do for all of us one day as we will be healed forever in the resurrection. Now, it seems that the news about this miracle spread to other places. So, Peter's presence spread so that there's the people who are in Joppa, which is about 10 miles south or north, northwest, of, <laughs> northwest of Lida, right? This would be northwest, northwest for you guys, northwest, you guys, northwest. Try to mirror it, northwest, northwest, <laughs> about 10 miles, and, and news might have spread. What, look what Peter did, he just... In the name of Jesus, he spoke to a guy who was paralyzed on his bed, and he got up. And when they heard that Peter was near, these people in Joppa, they sent two guys to go out and get him. And they're urging him to come without delay. And they urge him to come because they're a disciple there, a Christian, who was named Tabitha, which is the Aramaic name. That's the name that I would use if I had this name, because the Greek name is Dorcas, which doesn't have the same kind of beautiful ring to it, at least in English. Both these names mean gazelle, you're curious. And I, you know, I was thinking maybe a sermon title today could be Jesus Heals the Dorcas and All of Us, right? 
All right, joking aside, this is a woman of faith. This is the woman who is well-known in the community. This is a woman who is it's full of good works and acts of charity. She's a beloved woman in the city, and she gets sick and dies. So right, two, two people go and send to get Peter. And in verse 39, it says, So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room, and all the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. So or who, who's standing and weeping for Tabitha? Widows. Those who are the most vulnerable in society. Those who, the half-brother of Jesus, writes, right, true Christianity, true faith, is caring for orphans and widows in their time of need. This is how we demonstrate that we're really Christians. We care for the people that God cares about, orphans and widows, the vulnerable in society. You can see that she cared for these widows. They, she had made them clothing and other garments for them, tunics. And Peter, verse 40, he puts them outside, and he kneels down and he prays. Probably in this moment, he's praying in the name of Jesus, and maybe he's even received confirmation somehow in his prayers that, that Tabitha will come back to life. And he says, Tabitha, arise. And guess, guess what word Peter says, therefore arise? You guys remember it? Anastami, right? You know our Greek? Rise up. It's the same word. She opens her eyes and she sits up. In verse 41, and he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. And he stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. So again, what do you, what do you see what happens as a result of the miracle? It's not, it's not Peter. Eh, Peter! Peter's the best. They call him Simon. They call him Cephas. It's Peter, right? No. They turn to the Lord. This is a sign of godly leadership. Followers of Jesus help other followers of Jesus follow Jesus. Not themselves, not celebrity, not personality, not charisma. It's Jesus. There's no number that comes up on the bottom of the screen that says, well, if you just give... To this number here, Jesus will heal you and everything will go better for your life. It's not surprising that when communities are built on people or personalities, built on celebrity, whole movements are fueled by one person, that they crumble and collapse. They're not sustained. It's not surprising when pastors fail and they fall because they experience problems like everyone else. Infidelity, adultery, abuse. A personality, a powerful speaker, a charismatic speaker might come and go. They might make the headlines because of their platforms. They have book deals, how many people they can pack out in a building. They might have many followers on Twitter. But the people and things that don't make the headlines, the lives that are changed, the marriages that are rebuilt, the families that are put back together, the mental health that's restored, the healings that happened among the church, that is only sustained by healthy faith in Jesus Christ, not in a person, a pastor, a personality. It's because of, not of a celebrity, but a savior. This is who the people turn to.
The story is very similar of a healing miracle of Jesus as recorded in the gospel according to Mark and Luke. In fact, in, in Aramaic, the words that Peter and Jesus use in these two different accounts sound almost identical. So the phrase that Peter uses, Tabitha arise, sounds almost identical in Aramaic to Jesus' words to a little girl that he heals, Jairus' daughter. So what, this is recorded in, in Mark 5, verse 41. Taking her, Jesus takes her by the hand and he says to her, Talitha kumi, which means, little girl, I say to you, arise. Something happens in the gospel according to Luke, which Luke wrote, Luke and Acts, it was a two-part thing. And I, I, I think this is, he's showing these two things as so similar because he's showing the, the union of Jesus and his apostles, the continuation of his ministry through the apostles. It shows the breaking in power of the kingdom of God, and it shows that the apostles have the true words of life, the true message of the gospel that, that they can form and structure and process in the scriptures. They can be trusted. It's the same kind of stuff that Jesus did. He's doing through his apostles, saying, arise, get up, take up your mat, and walk. The point of these stories is not for us to say, wow, look at Peter, or so much, why doesn't this happen today? Daniel, have you ever done this? Can we really trust you? I mean, what kind of power do you have, Daniel? You ever just heal someone like that? I, no, I haven't. I've heard of healings. I'd, I'd love to, to be a part of it. But I, I think the point is, these are showing signs of the kingdom breaking in in the church the point of these stories is, is not to say, look at Peter and all these miracles he can do. The point of these stories is not so much that we could expect to just touch someone and they're immediately healed, and, and that can create all kinds of problems in, in the sense of when people aren't healed, you start to blame them that they're not healed. It, like they didn't do the right things. They didn't have enough faith, right? That's all, it's, it's about Jesus and what he can do. The point of these stories is that we are to see the love and the grace and the power of Jesus. And like the people in the towns of Lydda and Joppa responded, we too are to respond in trusting Jesus in turning to the Lord. I think that's the call of the story. Not to be amazed at how great Peter is. Not so much that we can expect to just walk through cemeteries and be like, get up, get up, get up, get up, and then... Some sort of movie, fists breaking through the, the ground. That'd be weird, right? The point is, we too are to turn to the Lord and to have faith in Jesus. Not in a person that's fallen and fallible, but in Jesus. These miracles are signs, examples, and evidence of the salvation of Jesus. They're examples of Jesus drawing near and having compassion and mercy and Jesus saving. Aeneas and Tabitha, they're both going to go on to die. Tabitha would later die again. And, you know, we're not told, hey, next time she dies, they call Peter, and it's going to be like a continual process. It's like, I know I, I died already, and you healed me, but second time's a charm? Maybe, you know, maybe I'll live forever? And this is not, this is not you know, the same thing as resurrection, because they're going to go on and die. This is like resuscitation. She's going to die again. She's going to be resussed. Is that a word? I'll just say it. You guys know what I mean. Resussed to her old life. But she's only going to die at a later time. It's like Aeneas. 
These miracles are visible signs of the new life to come in the power of the resurrection, but they are not the resurrection themselves. They're signs. They point to something and someone greater, that is, resurrection. You know how resurrection is different than resuscitation? Do you know how resurrection is different than reincarnation? Resurrection is not life after death, actually. It's life after life after death. When the Christian belief is that when we die, our souls and our body are not united like they were, like they are now. Our souls are going to go to a place some would call heaven. It's like this intermediate state, the spiritual state. But in the resurrection, our, our souls and our bodies are going to be reunited. Probably not that aggressively. I don't know why I clap that hard. <laughs> but in a new resurrected body. And we're not going to die again. We're going to live forever in a resurrected, a new created world. Forever. One day we'll wake up and everything will be made new and we'll realize we're at the beginning of eternity. Like, It'll be like a little dandruff flake or something. It's so insignificant and thin. And so what the Apostle Paul writes to the church in Corinth. It says, therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. So that, that's happened in Christ. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. All this is from God, who through Christ reconciled us to himself and gave us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God is reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them and entrusting to us the message of reconciliation. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. God, making his appeal through us, we implore you on behalf of Christ, be reconciled to God. For our sake, he made him to be sin who knew no sin, that in him we might become the righteousness of God. I think Paul and Acts 9, they're, they're both imploring us to have this message, be reconciled to God, turn to God, follow Jesus, trust in him, see the power of his name in this story and trust him with your life. And trust that, don't, don't hear the, the false voices that say, when you believe in Jesus, your whole life will change and everything will get better and you'll never have heartache again. And you won't get sick and all this garbage. But as you go through the broken world that is, as you are sick, as you suffer, as you experience heartache, as your loved ones die of things that were not originally part of God's good creation, like cancer and heart attack and stroke and horrible natural disasters that kill in tornadoes and hurricanes and earthquakes and through all of that, I'm trusting Jesus that out, through this, the other side, there's something coming. And I'm having faith and I'm putting my hope in Jesus' resurrection that happened in the past and what he's going to promise is going to happen again when he comes again. And the whole world and all of his people are going to be resurrected. 
The invitation from the story is that we would believe, we would trust, we would be reconciled to God, informed by our reason, informed by what we hear and what we see. It's not devoid of logic or reason, but it would, we would make the choice to trust in Jesus, to follow him and to believe in him. The Christian faith, like, like many other worldviews, is a, is a worldview of faith. It's based on faith. And philosophers will argue that, you know, you, you can't really prove anything. So even secular, non-spiritual people have faith, right? They just have faith in secular, non-spiritual things. I don't, I don't, ten, I don't pretend to know philosophy, but, it, but I've talked and seen debates with philosophers that essentially prove they can't prove anything. We use reason and faith, right? If, if you could, because people will say, well, if you could prove that God was real, if you could prove that Jesus really was raised from the dead, then I would believe. If you could prove that God isn't real, then I would really believe. It's like, can you really prove that God is real or you can't prove that God is in existence? We see in the story here that people who saw Peter in the name of Jesus raised someone who was dead. Did you see, did you, could you catch that? Verse 42, many believed. You think, these people just saw a, a, like a, someone being raised from the dead in the name of Jesus. You'd think all would believe, right? you say, well, if I could just see the resurrection, if I could see Jesus raised from the dead, then I would believe. Even that time, not all believed. I had my Bible here. Let's go to Matthew 28. So he just raised from the dead, according to Matthew, Matthew 28, starting at verse 16. The 11 disciples are going to Galilee, to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him. And then what does Matthew say? But some doubted. I love that. If I just try to set aside my experience with Jesus or what I've seen him do. If I just, just tried to reason, what, what if this were really true? If I set my subjective experiences aside, I'm convinced that there is a God, that, that this Jesus was God, that he was who he said he was, and that his resurrection, that's, that, that's an actual historical event, proves this. Also, it argues it, it takes more faith to believe that the world in which we know that's created it takes more faith to believe, it takes more faith to be an atheist, I think, than to be a Christian, based on our sense of human worth and dignity, based on our sense of justice and right and wrong, right? If someone were to come into my truck and break into it and take my wallet, you know what I would say? I want justice. That's what I would feel. I'd feel I want justice. I wouldn't say, oh, just a random happenstance of molecules that join together. No. All these kind of things demonstrate to me that there is a God. And, 
And then I, when I factor in my own personal experience and my experience as a, in a, as a pastor, I, I've, I've seen this same kind of healing power. Not necessarily in people who were dead being raised to life, but people who had marriages that were on the brink of divorce. Flourish. Families be brought back together. I've seen Jesus heal and work and move in people that he's still doing the same kind of things today. And he can do the same thing in your life if you would come to him. There are those in this room or who are watching online that are skeptical. I think one of the most powerful apologetics, one of the most true kind of tests of this Jesus really being real and living, and he's not dead, he's actually alive, is how he works through his people. And I just want to invite you, if you're not a part of a church, if you're not with a community of people that you can explore and consider these claims together, would you join us? We don't have it figured out. But we're seeking as a church, aren't we, to follow Jesus together? To have our lives be transformed by him? I want you to consider to follow, following Jesus with us. You don't have to have it all figured out. Amen. None of us do. And the people that do have it figured out, just give them some time. <laughs> if you don't have all the answers, know that we don't. If, if you're not perfect and you feel like you need to clean yourself up, we, we, we get that. We feel that too. We come into church and we can be tempted to present our false self, our best face. Someone asks us how we're doing and we say, fine. I just fought with my wife all the way here, but I'm not going to tell you. Life is good. You don't have to clean yourself up. We're not. We want to be honest. We need Jesus, don't we, church? And we need to be reminded of this gospel every week. You know, I'm, I'm, I'm tempted to not look forward to Easter because I feel like there's all this pressure on Easter. It's like, pastor's got to preach the best sermon. It's Easter. Come on, pastor. You got to give your, your best one. And I wrestle with that, and I, I, can, I, can, pro, I can be prone to find my worth and my happiness in, in my performance. So you guys are smiling at me. You're nodding. You're like, yeah, I'm with you, Daniel. I'm feeling pretty good. It's like, yeah, I'm performing well. You guys are like lost, and it's like you have this kind of look of like, Suddenly, I start to feel bad if I'm not believing the gospel. But you know what the gospel is? That, that the way that Jesus views me, my worth, my acceptance, is not based on my performance. It's based on, on Christ. And what Christ has done in the power of his name. And I want to encourage us. We need to be reminded of this. Just like in a relationship, it'd be pretty lame if you got together with someone and you said, hey, I'm going to tell you this once, and you better get it. I love you. I'm not going to tell you again. <laughs> Sometimes I think we can think about the gospel like that. Yeah, you believe the gospel one time, and then after you hear it again, you're kind of like, yeah, 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 gospel, heard that, Jesus died on the cross for my sins, heard that, get it. No, you don't. We don't get it. And it, it displays itself in the way that we live and operate and relate to each other. 
Easter each year. Let's pray. God, help us to turn to Jesus, to turn to the Lord. We remember his healings, his miracle. The sign here of Dorcas and Aeneas, it points to the resurrection. We consider the resurrection of Jesus. And we pray, God, help me to have the same kind of hope and joy and peace and function as if I really believe that we're true. Every day. I really believe that we're true. It really affected the way that I live and the way that I work. And I would feel and have empathy and I would be sorrowful with the sorrows of this world. Yet, I would always be rejoicing because I know this world is not all that it is and all that it will be. Yes, I'm going to grieve with those who die and those who follow Jesus who die, but I'm going to rejoice because I know they're with him. And I will be one day too. If you haven't decided to follow Jesus, let me invite you to consider following him with us and come to him today and turn to Jesus as your Savior. I've found in Jesus a life and a joy and a hope and a peace. And I need to be reminded, just like we all do, that Jesus is so awesome and we're not. That Jesus is so amazing and so powerful and we are not. I need to be reminded and I will remind you as much as I can that I am not awesome. Please do not follow me unless I am following Jesus. I know I can do the right thing. I know what the right thing is. I can still choose to do the wrong thing. I know I can be hypocritical. I can be jaded and pessimistic. (laughs) I can drive by all these churches with their Easter signs and say, why do you have signs up? No one's coming. (laughs) Yeah, that's a little bit of my heart. Whoa, repulsive. (laughs) My life has been changed by Jesus. He continually changes my life. I've seen as we uphold and honor Jesus in this church that lives are changed in the wake of the gospel. And I want to invite you to follow the same Jesus. Amen? I have seen the kind of radical forgiveness and reconciliation. I've met a kind of love and grace in the culture of Jesus' people that I just haven't seen anywhere else. And that is only because of the power of Jesus. So as we remember him, as we celebrate him and his resurrection this Easter... We're guided to the resurrection through Tabitha and Aeneas. May we experience the hope and the joy and the life and the love and the healing power of Jesus this Easter and in the year to come. Amen. Let's pray. Father, I remember being bored in church and kind of off-put by the gospel, to be honest. I remember I'd rather being anywhere else than in a church, playing sports, watching sports, eating, sleeping, anything else. And yet, as I was in this kind of religious moralism, this external activities that I thought I was a Christian because I did certain things, you showed up in my life in a radical way. And you showed me what the true heart of Christianity is. Lord, I pray you do the same in this church.
So many I talk with in the community think they know what Christianity is about, but what they're really describing is moralism, legalism, external trappings, and it just leads to judgmental communities. It leads to pride. It leads to people feeling crushed under the weight of something they were never designed to do. And Lord, I pray that you would free sinners from shame and guilt as the gospel is proclaimed today. Would you do this? Would the lost be welcomed home? Would those who are hurting and sick find healing in Jesus? Lord, would you use us as your servants, not to make a name for ourselves, not to build platforms that we can show off our awesomeness, but that you might use us to serve others where you would get the glory. Father, I pray that Jesus would be lifted up in this church, that Jesus would be lifted up as we sing, that Jesus would be lifted up as we remember communion together, that Jesus would be lifted up as marriages are reunited, that Jesus will be lifted up as depression and anxiety and and mental health problems fade into joy and to peace and to comfort. Lord, I pray that you would help us as a church to experience the joy of the resurrection. We experience the the dreariness of daily life, the rain, the monotony, the traffic, the fighting, the bad news always before us. Help us to find hope in what Jesus has done, that it would actually change the way we live in the present. That we would be sorrowful, yes, yet always rejoicing. Lord, we turn to you in this time as we respond to your word. We pray that you'd help us to follow you. And that we pray as we behold you, as we consider you, as we look upon your glory, you would change us from one degree of glory to the next. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.